Hi, this is Nick Forster. Welcome to E-Town. This week, we are going to revisit a show that we created a year ago in honor of Earth Day. And the reason we're rerunning this show this year is that next week, we begin our two-part series of our own Earth Day special, which celebrates 30 years of E-Town with some incredible performances and visits with some of our friends. So this week, enjoy our Earth Day special and get ready for next week, which is the beginning of a two-part series celebrating E-Town's 30th anniversary, what we're calling our B-apostrophe Earth Day. Here it is. From the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town. We're celebrating Earth Day this week and we're featuring music and conversation with some of our favorite musicians, award winners, and guests, including Jane Goodall, Senator Gaylord Nelson, Jack Johnson, Rising Appalachia, Mavis Staples, and more. I'm Helen Forster. Right now, please help me welcome our host, Nick Forster. Thank you, Helen. Welcome, everybody, to our Earth Day special I know that this is a really tricky time for all of us, and we sincerely hope that you're all being careful and staying healthy to the best of your ability in the midst of this pandemic. In the middle of all of this, it turns out it's also the week of Earth Day. And for me, at least, there's a connection with all of the global disruption. Lots of people are rethinking and reimagining how we live and work in the world, what kind of choices we make, how our priorities shape our decision-making, So this tragic disruption also includes the possibility, in my mind, of a shift, even a kind of healing of both the planet and people. We will see. Meanwhile, there's a lot for all of us to deal with. Most of you know that E-Town has, for decades, been combining live music with conversation and information about our shared environment. In fact, our first show took place on Earth Day back in 1991. So we see this week as a chance to be reminded of our own roots and also a chance to revisit some of the great conversations and musical moments that have happened on our stage over the years. We're going to start off with someone who was on E-Town really early on, then became a big star, but has always maintained his connection to the environment in particular and to the oceans since he's a big surfer and to E-Town. Here comes Jack Johnson. How are you? show now so what's it gonna be cause people can tune in how many train wrecks do we need to see before we lose touch now and we thought this was low it's bad getting worse now where'd all the good people go been changing channels I don't see them on the TV show Where'd all the good people go? Got heaps and heaps of what we saw Got this and that with the rattle attack Testing one, two, man, what you gonna do? Bad news, missed news, too much 
much Give me some truth, man, whose side are we on? Whatever you say I turn on the voodoo I'm in the mood to obey So lead me astray By the way, now Where'd all the good people go? Changing channels, I don't see them on the TV show Where'd all the good people go? We got heaps and heaps of what we sow Sitting around, feeling far away So far away, but I can feel the debris How great it's all gonna be Jack Johnson, welcome back to E-Town. Thank you. It's been yeah, too it's long, but I'm glad you're here. We decided it's going to be an exponential graph together right. on the solar-powered roof earlier today. Half as long the next time. Yeah, until we're living together. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to take that long, so be careful. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you deal with that tension between wanting to motivate and inspire and make a difference and knowing you, you're there to entertain? The balance of it for me is making sure that it's, uh, there's a place for people at our shows and there's a conversation that can be had if people want to engage in that conversation, but it's not forced on them. So we have a place we call the Village Green, and that's where we have all the nonprofit booths that are from that town. So we try to find this balance where it's right. there for people who want it, and it's, um, but it's not always coming from the stage. If it makes it into a song naturally, then I'm happy to sing that song. Sure. I find there's two different types of songs that have environmental issues for me. There's ones that... I'll sing in elementary school cafeterias that are like, single-use plastic is not so fantastic. We use it for a minute or two, and then it sits around for a few thousand years, maybe even more, washes up on the shore. Just bring your own bags to the store. There's no need to be such a fancy pants. Put down the plastic water bottle, give the kids a chance, because the next generation is growing. We got to be knowing. If we're consuming, we got to be doing what we can do to reduce our waste. And that's when I like, I'll play in cafeterias. <laughs> Thanks. I'll slide a little PSA in there. <laughs> yeah. No, but they are. They're like, they're like PSAs, you know. Um, are we too cynical to hear that song generally? Is that the deal? No, I don't think so. No, it, okay. but, but maybe, you know, it's, it also feels a little bit 
like a PSA. I mean, I use that term in a good sense, but there's also the yeah. version of it that I don't want the songs to feel like a public service announcement. Right. So the other kind that I feel are even more important are things like I have a song called Only the Ocean. Uh, for me, it's about visiting my dad, who's not here anymore, but when I go in the ocean, I feel his presence is where we spend a lot of time. And it's about falling in love with the ocean. And if I can remind people of that connection they have with the ocean, let's say, and if it helps to make people fall in love with the ocean or nature in general, then people will protect the things that they love. Yeah. So in a way, that's a deeper kind of environmental song to me yeah. is, is uh, just reminding people of how sacred these things are. Yeah. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to E-Town here with Jack Johnson. You know, your dad, of course, was a, a really good surfer. And, uh, you know, just sharing that thing with your dad, being a surfer, living on the ocean and being connected. And, and you're talking about single-use plastic items washing up on the shore. You're involved with a, a film called Smog of the Sea. How did that project come about? It was through those nonprofits. There was one in particular, Five Gyres. They're a great group. What I love about them is they're just doing straightforward science. They're going out and doing the data collection, finding out how much plastic is actually in the ocean. So they go out with these trawls, basically, and they drag them next to the boat. And I got to go on the trip with those guys. And it, uh, it was something we were already doing, working on trying to eliminate that single-use plastic, but it really made me more passionate after doing that trip and seeing the realities, even when you're out there in the bluest, bluest ocean, you know, days out to sea where you couldn't see land anywhere for days. And the ocean was a couple miles deep where we were and it was the bluest blue I've ever seen. And we'd put the thing in, we'd wait for an hour and we'd say, there's no way, we haven't seen one piece of plastic, there's no way. Every time we'd pull it in, there'd be a handful of microplastics in there, you know, so it's just very widely dispersed. That's hence the name of the documentary is Smog of the Sea. As depressing as it was to go out and learn a lot of these facts, it was also very uh, encouraging to keep working on these things that we're doing at the shows. Yeah. You, um, you do have the ability to kind of connect the dots in ways that very few people do. So I think it's really cool that A, congratulations on your success. Thanks. And B, the fact that you're able to keep your values and, and introduce those into your community in ways that are meaningful and not, you know, you're not preaching, you're not scolding, you're inviting people to discover these things you're discovering. And that's a delicate balance. Not a lot of people can pull that off. Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll look for ways to improve our, what we're doing you here. You guys are amazing. I got to do the tour of the solar panels over the whole thing here, and it's, the whole ship is running amazing. So. We'll, we'll keep trying. Yeah. I want to mention one more thing before we go back to music. I think you're one of the only people we've had on the show recently who has ever played on a Saturday Night Live show that was hosted by Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that. Uh, I, uh, somewhere I don't have my phone on me. I can show you a picture of me giving Donald Trump bunny ears. <laughs> really? At the, uh, you know at the end where everybody's clapping and everything? I snuck up and gave him bunny ears on that. And somebody sent me that. I got Ahead home. of your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I, uh, I appreciate you stopping by. I know you can play anywhere in the world and draw a big crowd. I really appreciate you coming and stopping by E-Town again. Here you are, you know, still writing, still playing, still touring. So Thank you. Congratulations that, on the new spot, too. I know it's been you. five years, but it's new to me. Let's get back to music. Welcome back, if you would, Jack Johnson. Yeah. We're going to invite Helen up here to sing some vocals as well. No combination of words I could put on the back of a postcard No song that I could sing but I can try for your heart Our dreams and they are made out of real things Like a shoebox of photographs with sepia tone loving 
And love is the answer at least for most of the questions in my heart Why are we here and where do we go and how come it's so hard It's not always easy and sometimes life can be deceiving I'll tell you one thing, it's so much better when we're together so much better when we're together We will look at them stars and we're together mm, So much better when we're together Yeah, so much better when we're together Just might find their way into my dreams tonight But I know that they'll be gone The morning light sings or brings new things But tomorrow night you see That they'll be gone too Too many things I gotta do But if all of these dreams might find their way Into my day-to-day -day scene Be under the impression Or somewhere in between with only two, just me and you Now so many things we gotta do Or places we got to be We'll sit beneath the mango tree now Yeah, so much better when we're together We're with somewhere in between together Yeah, so much better when we're together Yeah, so much better when we're together I believe in memories, they look so So pretty when I sleep in now And when I wake up, you look so pretty Sleeping next to me But there is, there's not enough time There is no, no song I could sing There is no combination of words I could say but I will still tell you one thing we're better together That's Jack Johnson, along with his band, and Helen singing along. I'm Nick Forster. You're listening to E-Town's Earth Day special. Lots of great music and conversation coming up. You know, Earth Day didn't just happen. It was created back in 1970. And this year is the 50th anniversary of that pretty spectacular achievement, both of the founders of Earth Day have been guests on the show over the years, Senator Gaylord Nelson and Dennis Hayes. But this week, we're going to go back to a conversation I had with former Wisconsin governor and United States senator who died in 2005. He was a passionate conservationist. 
He's credited really with solidifying the environmental movement by creating Earth Day back in 1970. Here's a part of my conversation with Senator Gaylord Nelson from E-Town. That's a pretty good welcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so certainly Earth Day mobilized more people, got press, got attention, got energy shifted towards the issue of the environment, the state of our planet, more than any other event. You must be very proud of that. Well, the, the reason I organized Earth Day was I was trying to get the issue onto the national political agenda. And until we got it there, we weren't going to do anything about it. And uh, I finally thought of the idea of getting a national demonstration in behalf of Mother Earth because I knew from speaking in almost every state, I knew that the public was far ahead of the political establishment. And I figured if I could get a demonstration big enough, it would get the attention of the political establishment. It achieved that, 20 million people largest demonstration in our history, demonstrated in behalf of, of Mother Earth on Earth Day, April 22, 1970, and it forced the issue onto the political agenda, and it's been there ever since. I'm interested, though, at that time, what it was like for you among your colleagues, when you brought up these kinds of issues, what kind of response did you get? Well, you know, he's a kind of a nice guy. Let's hear him out, but don't pay too much attention. <laughs> there were, when I went to Washington, there were only about six people in the Senate who you'd call environmentalists. Now all 100 will, even though they, they because they're, they're responding to the public. But there are a significant number of very able, very distinguished members of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Do you feel that, generally speaking, there is an awareness, not just of the fact that there is a problem, but of the magnitude of this potential problem? I speak to a number of grade schools and high schools as well as colleges. Today, the grade school kids at the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade level are better informed, more perceptive, more understanding of the issue than college seniors were uh, in 1970 when I organized Earth Day. Now, when I organized Earth Day, there was not a single grade school or high school that taught environmental education. Today, thousands of them do. There was no environmental institutes in any uh, university in the United States except the University of Wisconsin in 1970. Now every major university has an environmental department. There was no environmental law being taught in 1970. There were no environmental programs like this one. There's an educational process going on that is changing the attitude of the people of this country. Yeah. And we've got a long way to go, but I think with people like you and the educational aspects of it that uh, we'll make it. It'll take us another 20, 30 years to achieve the goal, but I think we'll do it. Well, you have certainly been a huge part of <clears throat> getting this ball rolling, and I very much appreciate your stopping by and visiting us here in Thank town. Thanks for being with us, Governor Senator Gaylord Nelson. Thank you. That's part of a conversation I had with Senator Gaylord Nelson, founder of Earth Day, who died in 2005. 
He was an inspiring leader. He got an awful lot of things done. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by Silk, a pioneer of plant-based beverages that supports the environment as a charter sponsor of Change the Course, a freshwater conservation and restoration program created by Bonneville Environmental Foundation and National Geographic. You can learn more about Silk's environmental commitments and plant-based nutrition at silk.com. You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. This is E-Town. Our Earth Day special continues. We've got much more coming up right now. A little musical message from our friends from the band Rising Appalachia, led by Leah and Chloe Smith, playing their song called Resilient. Yeah.
Thank you. That's Rising Appalachia, recorded live at E-Town Hall last year. This is our Earth Day special. And we know what's going on out there. Helen and I are home. We hope that you all are doing your best to stay safe and healthy during this COVID-19 extended season. It's a very strange time on so many levels, and, and we know that lots of you are struggling with lost work and other challenges. We appreciate that you're tuning in, listening. We know that Music really does help. Positive stories of people doing great things, that helps too. Anyway, many years ago, we celebrated an anniversary. It was maybe our fifth or our tenth back in the 90s or early 2000s with a show at an auditorium on the campus of the University of Colorado. Uh, do you remember, Helen, whether it was our fifth or tenth? I do remember. It was our tenth anniversary in 2001, which was, uh, believe it or not, close to two decades ago. And a bunch of musicians on the show, right? Oh, it was an incredible show. The musical guests were Randy Newman, Leo Kotke, David Crosby, and Graham Nash. And our Lifetime Achievement Award winner was Jane Goodall. Yeah, that's a pretty good show. And I kind of remember Leo had a cold, and, and didn't Graham shut David Crosby's fingers in the car door or something like that? Yeah, Leo had a pretty bad cold, but he soldiered through. And uh, yes, as they arrived that day, Graham accidentally shut poor David's fingers in the car door. David was a trooper, and he made it through beautifully. I remember that everybody that was on the show was really excited to meet Jane Goodall. She was actually the one who stole the show that night. Yeah, well... We're going to listen to a short excerpt from my conversation with Jane Goodall, the world-renowned English primatologist and anthropologist from the E-Town Archives, as our Earth Day Week special continues. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. So the kinds of observations you've made have helped us find a connection to our place in nature, our place in the natural world. Are there things, individual things, that you feel especially proud of or fond of as you look back, or you just feel like you're in the middle of the work you're doing? Well, there are things which give me a great sense of um, satisfaction when I look back. The breakthroughs, the first time David Greybeard let me touch him, which I probably shouldn't have done, but if I had the opportunity, I would have done it again, I'm sure, you know. And then the fact that in the labs, the conditions are beginning to change. The fact that all over the world, zoos are beginning to enrich the environment. And I know that the Gombe studies have been responsible for at least part of that, and the changed attitude towards animals. So I think these kinds of things give you a good feeling, just as you and Helen must have a good feeling when you think what your program has done to raise these issues to so many people. And congratulations on your anniversary. Thank you very much. 
Very sweet of you. Um, what are you working on now, or what are you excited by? Looking all over the world at the destruction of the forest, the increase of the population, the terrible overconsumption of the developed world, and then, you know, all the pollution, the hole in the ozone layer, we can go on and on and on and add human greed and cruelty and crime and war. I think it's because this is so overwhelming that I began working with young people with this Roots and Shoots program to try to give them hope. Think of Roots making a firm foundation and Shoots seeming tiny but to reach the light, breaking open a brick wall and think of the brick wall as all these horrible problems. So it's hope that hundreds and thousands of young people, kindergarten right up to university, working together around the world can break through. Every individual, every one of us matters and has a role to play and makes a difference. I mean, you can't actually live through a day without changing the world around you. And we all have a choice. What sort of difference do we want to make? Yeah. All around the world, people are realizing there really are environmental problems and social injustices. And I know we're greedy and I know we read about war and I know that most of the media talks about all the bad things but there's an awful lot of good happening, and we must get that out, and that's the kind of thing your show can do. Well, thank you, Jane. Thank you so much for being here, too. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on a life of great work. I'm Nick Forster. You're listening to E-Town. That was a brief excerpt from a conversation I had with Jane Goodall on an E-Town show many years ago. This is our Earth Day special, coming to you directly from our house, here in Boulder, Colorado. Helen and I are spending a lot of time together doing projects and cooking, and we hope that you all are doing okay in your social distancing. Although I know a lot of people are actually being pretty darn social via calls and emails and Zoom meetings and all that, which makes it um, maybe more like physical distancing than social distancing. Anyway, we hope you're okay. One of our favorite singers from all time is the legendary Mavis Staples. She's been on E-Town a few times. Even her father, Roebuck Pop Staples, had been a guest on the show a couple of times in the 90s. What we always loved about the Staples singers and then Mavis on her own is that their songs were not only good songs, they were for the greater good. They were trying to make a difference through songs. And they did that. Those songs really changed things during the civil rights struggle. That is, by the way, far from over. But that family really made a joyful noise. So here's a little part of a show we did with Mavis a couple of years ago when she was here with her band. It's a song about being friends and getting through tough times. Here's Mavis Staples. Friend. 
And if it's us against the world, well, I would bet on us to come out on time. You go your way, and I'll go mine. All bets are off. This is dedicated. This one's dedicated. This one's because we made it through Well, well That was a time I thought Half the friends we've got Were counterfeit at best And you thought it wasn't right How I lived my life those doubts to rest and if it's us against the world well uh, I would bet on us you go yours and I'll go mine all bets over this one's dedicated this one's dedicated to you Oh hey, oh hey This one's because we made it This one's because we made it through Well, well That's the great Mavis Staples, along with her band, live on an E-Town show from just a couple of years ago. One of the most powerful tools in the fight to raise awareness around environmental issues has been film. From Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth to the Oscar-winning documentary The Cove and the hundreds of environmental films that have been made since then, there is something about seeing the issues up close that really helps to tell the story. 
One of the most powerful films in recent years is one called Chasing Ice, a very graphic story about the receding glaciers around the world. And the star of that film is the award-winning photographer, National Geographic explorer, and author James Baylog. So James, lucky for us, lives right here in Colorado. And he's been able to join us every few years whenever he has a new project. Here is an excerpt of a chat I had with James Baylog not long after the film Chasing Ice was released. James Baylog, welcome back. Hello, Nick. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, you, you know, obviously we're around glaciers as a climber and as a mountaineer. I should mention that you also had a science background. Geomorphology, is that what it was? The study of landforms, how the Earth's surface as we see it has been formed, shaped, yeah. and sculpted. So you, you were approaching this both as an adventurer and as a scientist and as an artist. Yeah. Basically... I had a flawed impression of the climate change story. I thought it was based on computer models, actually. And I'm kind of a skeptic about a lot of things. Uh, and I thought that maybe they were missing some details and, and maybe climate change wasn't as real as the computer model said. Now, the computer models of today are really good, but the, I'm talking about back in the 90s when they were more sketchy. And I thought, no, I don't know if this is real. And then I learned about the record that was uh, stored in the Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets, these layers of ice and snow that go back nearly a million years and tell the story of how the climate has changed. When I knew that people could touch those ice layers that were preserving that story, I knew that climate change was real. The, the, what you're describing is when they, when they drill these ice cores and they have essentially a chronological history based on trapped in air molecules and water molecules. Correct, yeah, exactly. Throughout time. That's right. And in Greenland, that record goes back about 175,000 years. In Antarctica, it goes back nearly a million years. It's a layered chronology of how the climate changed over all of these years. And yeah. when you look at that chronology, you realize that the climate of today is way outside the realm of natural variation. We're off in our own science experiment right now. Right. The key thing was I realized that with ice and changing glaciers, changing ice sheets, that was the place where you could see and touch and hear and feel climate change in action. That's where climate change was made visual and three-dimensional, and it was right in front of you. So how do you record that? Well, I spent two years doing normal single-frame photography where you go out and you try and evoke the spirit and the sense and feeling of the place, and it only kind of went so far. They were snapshots in time. And when I came back at the end of that second year of work, I realized... You know, we need to leave the cameras out there and shoot every hour or half hour around the clock as long as it was daylight. And as we stand here right now, those cameras are still out there. There's uh, 34 cameras, I think, on 16 glaciers in Greenland and Alaska and in Iceland and, and uh, by Mount Everest. And they're clicking away and making a record of how these masses of ice are changing through time. And all of this was captured. I don't know how many of you have seen the film Chasing Ice. How many of you have seen the film Chasing Ice? It's, it's a remarkable film, partly for its just sheer beauty of some of these places. It's such a spectacularly beautiful landscape. And also just the undeniable sort of march of climate change as evidenced by these shrinking glaciers. It's just, there it is. It's right there, right in front of you. And so much of what goes on on the skeptic side of this business and the doubter side of the climate change story is you're looking for confusion. So in providing this clarity and this vision, it kind of cuts through all the clutter and the noise and over and over and over again in the audiences, people come up to us and say, hey, 
I understand it now. I, I really wow. didn't know what this was all about before. And now through these pictures, through the clarity of what you're showing us, I get it. Wow. It's yeah. very powerful. Congratulations. I mean, that's, that's tough. That's the challenge in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are people who are doubters and will never be persuaded. That's fine. They're entitled to their own opinions, but of course not the facts. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the, uh, then there's people who understand the story well, based on the information right. that's been provided by scientists and by lots of us. And in the middle, there's a lot of people who understand this story, but they're pessimistic. They're in a kind of cynical despair. And uh, my answer is that we don't have the privilege of cynical despair. And I think what we have to remember is that we have to remain optimistic. We owe it to the integrity of our own lives and our own civilization, as well as to the quality of the world that we're going to leave to others to recognize the situation, to engage with it, and do the best we can with these amazing tools of technology and economics and policy that we have to actually fix this problem. This is not a problem that we can't get our arms around. We can deal with this. Yeah. It's not just noble work. It's important work. And um, you're uniquely qualified to do it. And you're also sort of scarily, uh, you're kind of reckless, if the truth be told. <laughs> My mother, when she first saw the film, she got to a certain part where I'm going down in a crevasse, and she said, Jimmy, I just had to cover my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> But we appreciate the chances you've taken, the fact that it's all worked out well and that you've been able to capture this record and share it with so many people. Well, it's my duty and my privilege. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Mr. James Baylog, award-winning photographer, author. That's author, explorer, and award-winning photographer, James Baylog, right here in E-Town. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. E-Town is celebrating its 30th anniversary on April 22nd, that's Earth Day, with a special live stream event. It's going to include unique performances by Bob Weir, Sam Bush, Raquel Garcia, and many more amazing guests. For more information, go to etown.org slash 30. That's etown.org slash 30. You're listening to E-Town. Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who hear E-Town on stations like KTHX 101.1, The X in Reno, Nevada, on WMFE, Public Radio of Central Florida in Orlando, and on KGNU right here in Boulder, Colorado. Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you want more information about any of our guests or you'd like to see photos or videos from the ones that we have anyway from this week's show, a lot of that stuff can be found online at etown.org. Okay, we have heard from some elders this week. Gaylord Nelson, Jane Goodall, and James Balog. Now it's time to hear from somebody younger because efforts on behalf of the environment, while for all of us, are especially for the next few generations. And this week on our special 50th anniversary of Earth Day, E-Town Show, 
We're going to hear from one of the most engaged and engaging young activists in the country. He's also a hip-hop artist who's given three TED Talks and spoken to the UN General Assembly a few times. He's also the director of an organization called Earth Guardians. Here's a part of my conversation with Shutezcat Martinez from three years ago when he was only 16 years old, talking about his experience in New York City at the UN General Assembly. Shutezcat, welcome to E-Town. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and I'm excited to be here. I watched one of your speeches in front of the UN General Assembly, and it was really well, well done. You're really poised. Uh, did you feel that uh, your message got through in that setting? I know there's huge distractions and translations right. and all kinds of stuff going on. I think it was really funny because I started off with a prayer in my native language, and they have these little cups that they put on their ear to translate between languages. And so when they heard me speaking something that nobody understood, everybody grabbed this little cup and was like trying to hear what I was saying. And so I think that kind of like woke everyone up. And then after that, they saw that, oh, there's a 16-year-old kid standing at the podium. You know, what, what does he have to say? And I feel like I'm underestimated at the very beginning, sometimes by adults. But once they see that I have just as much of a right to be here and to share my voice as anyone else, any politician or any world leader, my youth gives me a certain amount of credibility. Sure. It's interesting that it's ambassadors to the UN or politicians or world leaders that you're aiming towards. So it's really more about big picture policy shifts that you're trying to sort of affect, right? Kind of. I think that's definitely a very important part of it. And if we look at the climate crisis, it's a very diverse issue, meaning that the solutions that we need to create are incredibly diverse. And I feel like part of that, you know, I've had a, a large part in frontline community activism, but at the same time, we need policy to change. We need our government, our politicians, our corporations, are the private sector involved just as much as we need activists and politicians. It's about a whole system shift. Yeah. Now, I know you've also been pretty clear in your, in your various opportunities to speak about the economic benefits of making this change. It's not like you're asking people to like give up a lifestyle or a way of, you know, this is like, this is actually going to make, uh, create lots of jobs and it's going to be, make good business sense. Right. But why do you think this is still a polarizing issue, particularly, you know, politically? It seems like this is a, an issue that Republican administrations are less willing to embrace. I think it's treated it as a political issue. And I think that's the first place where they go wrong. For me as a young person, it's not about politics. It's not about money or, or the economy or about being an environmentalist. It's about the future of, of my generation. It's about the planet that myself and my younger siblings are going to inherit. Mm -hmm. I feel as though there's a lot of money and there's a lot of corruption in place in this country, which allows politicians to continue to deny the reality of this crisis that allows politicians to stand for profits instead of people, progress instead of the planet. And in reality, they're not separate things. Progress in the planet, we can take this next step forward as humanity by ensuring our existence on this planet. Yeah. That's Shutezcat Martinez on stage at E-Town. We don't have a lot of time left, so we're going to get right to some music. It's our Earth Day show, and one of the very first environmental conservation-themed songs in the world was the late John Prine's amazing song, Paradise. Here's Tim O'Brien and Daryl Scott doing that song. When I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky, where my parents were born. And there's a backward old town so often remembered, so many times now my memories are worn. 
So Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay Sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's gold train has hauled it away Well, sometimes we travel right down the Green River To the abandoned old prison down by Dree Hill The air smelled like smoke and we shoot with our pistols But empty pop bottles was all we would kill won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's gold train has hauled it away Then the coal company came with the world's largest shovel They tortured the timber and they stripped all the land Where well, they dug for their coal until the land was forsaken And they wrote it all down as the progress of man And well, Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg the Green River where paradise lay. I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's gold train hauled it away. Let my soul roll on up to the Rochester Dam I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise waiting Just five miles away from wherever I am Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River With us, would you one time? Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River where paradise lay? Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's cold train has haunted away. Where paradise lay 
That's Tim O'Brien and Daryl Scott, along with the E-Town House Band, featuring Chris Engelman, Ron Jolly, and Christian Teal, along with Helen and me. We're going to leave you with a finale from a show that featured Rising Appalachia and Egyptian singer-songwriter Rami Assam. It's definitely the first time I ever heard a Woody Guthrie song sung in Arabic. Thank you for spending time with us this week. The week of Earth Day, we heard from some absolute icons of the environmental movement, along with some amazing musicians, and all in the middle of a global pandemic, a global tragedy in every sense, except perhaps from the perspective of Mother Nature, because we've got some cleaner air and cleaner water as we all try to stay closer to home, at least for a little while. Anyway, I hope you're all being careful, staying safe. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town. recorded at E-Town Hall and produced by our donor-supported nonprofit organization. You can go to our website, etown.org, to comment about E-Town or email us at info at etown.org. Thanks to our family of sponsors, this station, and listeners like you. As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on sign it said no trespassing, but on the other side. It didn't say nothing That side was made for you and me This land is your land This land is my land From California To the New York Island From the Redwood Forest To the Gulf Stream Water This land was made
distribution of E-Town is made possible by our family of sponsors, this station, and listeners like you. This is a production of the E-Town Radio Network. That's it. That's our Earth Day special. Happy Earth Day 2021. Stay tuned next week for the beginning of our own Earth Day celebration as we celebrate 30 years of E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. Thanks for listening.